Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, October 30th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a biblical worldview. So very, very trustworthy content over there. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work. So I would very much encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a very good chance you're going to find more of the there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. Um, so, hey, win-win situation there. All right. Well, we're back on Monday. We're going to be doing our Bible reading this morning, and then we'll be back in our study of the Gospel of John. Uh, we're actually going to technically slow down here this week, at least beginning part of the week, God willing. Uh, we're going to spend four days on one verse. We've got four different parts of that verse, and so we're going to spend four days on that one verse. Um, and I think it's really, really key. We're, we're dealing here with peace peace, something I know we all like, would like to have. So we're going to look at peace. We're going to look at the nature of it, the source of it, the contrast to it, and the pursuit of it. So why don't we go ahead and jump into our reading for this morning segment. We're going to do, open up like we usually do with the second day morning prayer. It's called God over all. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and uphold us all things. By the word of thy power, darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring and thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy Holy Spirit govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. Now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Uh, the text for it is from Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord. Praise should always follow answered prayer, as the mist of earth's gratitude rises when the sun of heaven's love warms the ground. Hath the Lord been gracious to thee, and inclined his ear to the voice of thy supplication? Then praise him as long as thou livest. Let the ripe fruit drop upon the fertile soil from which it draws it drew its life. Deny not a song to him who hath answered thy prayer, and given thee the desire of thy heart. To be silent over God's mercies, 
excuse me, is to incur the guilt of ingratitude. It is to act as basely as the nine lepers, who after they had been cured of their leprosy, returned not to give thanks unto the healing Lord to... Sorry. Return not to give thanks unto the healing Lord. To forget to praise God is to refuse to benefit ourselves, for for praise, like prayer, is one great means of promoting the growth of the spiritual life. It helps to remove our burdens, to excite our hope, to increase our faith, it is a healthful and invigorating exercise which quickens the pulse of the believer and nerves him for fresh enterprises in his master's service. To bless God for mercies received is also the way to benefit our fellow men. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Others who have been in like circumstances shall take comfort if we can say, O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Weak hearts will be strengthened, and drooping saints will be revived as they listen to our songs of deliverance. Their doubts and fears will be rebuked as we teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They too shall sing in the ways of the Lord when they hear us magnify his holy name. Praise is the most heavenly of Christian duties. The angels pray not, but they cease not to praise both day and night, and the redeemed, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, are never weary of singing the new song, Worthy is the Lamb. All right, well, our singing for the day, or our singing, wow, <laughs> yeah, I got that right off of there. All right, our reading for the day, we're going to be doing Lamentations 3. And why did that do that? Sorry, I messed up the link there. Okay, so Lamentations 3, um, Hebrews 1. Psalm 102, and Proverbs 26, verses 21 and 22. So Lamentations 3. I am the man who has seen affliction. Because of the rod of his wrath, he has driven me and made me walk. In darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand, repeatedly, all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with gall and hardship. Dark places he has made me inhabit, like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with cut stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I have become a laughingstock to all my people, their music of mockery all the day. He has saturated me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten goodness. So I say my strength has perished, as well as my hopeful waiting, which comes from Yahweh. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and gall. Surely my soul remember, remembers and is bowed down within me. This I will return to my heart. Therefore I will wait and hope. The loving kindnesses of Yahweh indeed never cease, for his compassions ne never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I wait for him. Yahweh is good to those who hope in him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that he... Wait silently for the salvation of Yahweh. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. 
Let him sit alone and be silent, since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him. Let him be saturated with reproach. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion, according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the sons of men. To crush under his feet all the prisoners of the land. To deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High. To defraud a man in his legal case. These things the Lord does not see with approval. Who is there who speaks, and it happens, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good go forth? Why should any living person or any man complain because of his sins? Let us search out and examine our ways, and let us return to Yahweh. We lift up our heart to our hands toward God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have killed and have not spared. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us mere scum and refuse in the middle, in the midst of the peoples. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have befallen us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping until Yahweh looks down and sees from heaven. My eyes deal severely with my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They have silenced my, silenced my life in the pit and have placed a stone on me. Waters flowed over my head. I said I am cut off. I called on your name, O Yahweh, out of the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you. You said, Do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. O Yahweh, you have seen my oppression. Judge my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their purposes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Yahweh, all their purposes against me. The lips of those who rise against me and their whispering are against me all day long. Look on their sitting and their rising. I am their mocking song. You will recompense them, O Yahweh, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of Yahweh. Hebrews 1 God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power, who, having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which the angels did he for to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he said, Who makes his angels winds? who makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire. But of the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
they they will perish but you remain and they all will wear out like a garment and like like a mantle you will roll them up like a garment they will also be changed but you are the same and your years will not come to an end but to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until i put your enemies as a footstool for your feet are they not all ministering spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation psalm 102 a prayer sorry a prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before yahweh O yahweh hear my prayer and let my cry for help come to you do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress incline your ear to me in the day when i call answer me quickly for my days have vanished in smoke and my bones have been scorched like a hearth my heart has been stricken like grass and it has dried up indeed i forget to eat my bread because of the sound of my groaning my bones cling to my flesh i resemble a pelican of the wilderness i have become like an owl of the waste places i lie awake i have become like a lonely bird on a roof my enemies have reproached me all day long those who ridicule me swear against me for i have eaten ashes like bread and mixed my drinks with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath for you have lifted me up and cast me away my days are like an outstretched shadow, and as for me, I dry up like grass. But you, O Yahweh, abide forever, and the remembrance of your name from, gener from generation to generation. You will arise and have compassion on Z Zion, for it is time to be gracious to it, for the appointed time has come. For your slaves find pleasure in its stones, and show grace to its dust. So the nations will tear the name of... Uh, I'm sorry... So the nations will fear the name of Yahweh and all the kings of the earth your glory. For Yahweh has built up Zion. He has appeared in his glory. He has turned toward the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come, and a people yet to be created will praise Yah. For he looked down from his holy height. From heaven Yahweh gazed upon the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death, to recount the name of Yahweh in Zion, and his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve Yahweh. He has afflicted my strength in the way. He has shortened my days. I say, O oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are from generation to all generations. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will remain. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. The children of your slaves will dwell securely, and their seed will be established before you. Finally, Proverbs 26, verses 21 and 22. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the stomach. All right, well that is our listening or our reading for the day. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you, do all that you do for the glory of God. And uh, I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Uh, this one is called A Disciple's Renewal, and we're all to be disciples. We're all to be learners. That's what it means. But this is A Disciple's Renewal. Let's pray. Oh, my Savior, help me. I'm so slow to learn. So prone to forget, so weak to climb, I am in the foothills when I should be on the heights. I am painted 
I am pained by my graceless heart, my prayerless days, my poverty of love, my sloth in the heavenly race, my sullied conscience, my wasted hours, my unspent opportunities. I am blind while light shines around me. Take the scales from my eyes, grind to dust the evil heart of unbelief. Make it my chiefest joy to study thee, meditate on thee, gaze on thee, sit like Mary at thy feet, lean like John on thy breast, appeal like Peter to thy love, count like Paul all things dumb. Give me increase in progress and grace, so that there may be more decision in my character, more vigor in my purpose, purposes, more elevation in my life, more fervor in my devotion, more constancy in my zeal. As I have a position in the world, keep me from making the world my position. May I never seek in the creature what can be found only in the Creator. Let not faith cease from seeking thee until it vanishes into sight. Ride forth in me, thou King of kings and Lord of lords, that I may live victoriously and in victory attain my end. Amen. Alright again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, October 30th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 13. Like I said um, in the morning segment, uh, over the next four days, God willing, we're going to break down a single verse. Um, it's got four distinct parts, so I mean, it just makes sense. I know, oh my gosh, that's very, very slow instead of three or four verses at a time. But to really partake of this, we really need to break this down this way. So again, like I said, we're going to be talking about the supernatural peace. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And we're going to dig into the nature of peace, to the source of peace, to the contrast to peace, and to the pursuit of peace. So let's go ahead and jump in. Let's go ahead and open up with our prayer from Valley of Vision. We're going to open up with one called love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give me to love thee, to embrace thee. Though I once took lust and sin in my arms, thou didst love me before I loved thee. An enemy, a sinner, a loathsome worm. Thou didst own me when I disclaimed myself. Thou dost love me as a son and weep over me as over Jerusalem. Love brought thee from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave. Love caused thee to be weary, hungry, tempted, scorned, scourged, buffeted, spat upon, crucified, and pierced. Love led thee to bow thy head in death. My salvation is the point where perfect create, perfect created love and the most perfect uncreated love meet together. For thou dost welcome me, not like Joseph and his brothers, loving and sorrowing, but loving and rejoicing. This love is not intermittent, cold, changeable. It does not cease or abate from all my enmity. Holiness is a spark from thy love, kindled to a flame in my heart by thy spirit, and so whatever turns to the place from which it comes. Let me see thy love everywhere, not only in the cross, but in the fellowship of believers and in the world around me. When I feel the warmth of the sun, may I praise thee who art the sun of righteousness with healing power. When I feel the tender rain, may I think of the gospel showers that water my soul. When I walk by the riverside, may I praise thee for that stream that makes the eternal city glad and washes white my robes, that I may have the right to the tree of life. 
Thy infinite love is a mystery of mysteries, and my eternal rest lies in the, etern in in the eternal enjoyment of it. Amen. All right, well, our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for October 30th, uh, the text is from Song of Solomon or Song of Songs 813. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. My sweet Lord Jesus remembers well the Garden of Gethsemane, and although he has left that garden, he now dwells in the garden of his church. There he unbosoms himself to those who keep his blessed company. That voice of love with which he speaks to his beloved is more musical than the harps of heaven. There is a depth of melodious love within it, which leaves all human music far behind. Ten of thousands on earth, and millions above, are indulged with its harmonious accents. Some whom I well know, and whom I greatly envy, are at this moment hearkening to the beloved voice. Oh, that I were a partaker of their joys! It is true, some of these are poor, others bedridden, and some near the gates of death. But, O oh my Lord, I would cheerfully starve with them, pine with them, or die with them, if I might but hear thy voice. Once I did hear it often, but I have grieved thy spirit. Return unto me in compassion, and once again say unto me, I am thy salvation. No other voice can content me. I know thy voice, and cannot be deceived by another. Let me hear it. I pray thee, I know not what thou wilt say, neither do I make any condition. O my beloved, do but let me hear, thy, hear thee speak, and if it be a rebuke, I will bless thee for it. Perhaps to cleanse my dull ear may need an operation very grievous to the flesh, but let it cost what it may, I turn not from the one consuming desire. Cause me to hear thy voice, bore my ear afresh, pierce my ear with, my, with thy harshest notes, only do not permit me to continue deaf to thy calls. Tonight, Lord, grant, grant thine un unworthy... I'm sorry, grant thine unworthy one his desire, for I am thine, and thou hast bought me with thy blood. Thou hast opened mine eyes to see thee, and the sight has saved me. Lord, open thou mine ear. I have read thy heart, now let me hear thy lips. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to be continuing on in John chapter 14, and like I said, we're going to be uh, partaking of a single verse over the next four days, uh, God willing. Um, so our verse is John chapter 14, verse 27. And again, we've got a section A, B, C, and D. So let me go ahead and read it to you. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. All right. So it's like, okay, why would we take four days with it? Well, this is about peace. Okay. And, and let's, let's very quickly set the context. I will do my best to do very quickly. Cause I know it's like, oh my gosh, how many times has he said this? But again, so the disciples are in the other upper room. This is the upper room discourse. This is Jesus trying to give some final teaching this, you know, we, like we said, we went from the public ministry to the private ministry. He's ministering distinctly to the 11, no longer the 12 Judas has left, but to the 11, um, and, and in this case, what he, what he is definitely trying to do is he's trying to assuage their discomfort. If, if you don't want that, he's trying, he's trying to comfort them. He's trying to comfort them. He's trying to settle them because like I've said before, their world has come apart. You know, they depend on this guy. They've depended on this guy. 
um, for their teaching, but also he's, he's provided food for them. He's provided housing for them and everything else. Not that he's provided it, but others supporting his ministry have done so. So these guys for three years have had no jobs. They have no jobs. They've left family. They've left jobs. They've left everything. And this is a society where there's no government assistance program and people don't have big savings. Okay. There, nobody's got, you know, what is the standard? They say have six months of wages saved up a full gross wages saved up. And I don't know many people that even have that, um, much less three years worth. Okay. So these guys don't have that. So that's kind of terrifying. But at the same time, while they believe he is the Messiah, the son of God, Peter has directly declared it to him here in this gospel, but also in the others has clearly declared that to Jesus and the others obviously supporting his statement there. But the problem is they're still focused on a worldly Messiah, a worldly Messiah, not, not in the fleshly manner. Um, so sinful manner, but a worldly Messiah that is going to establish a kingdom on earth right now, a physical temporal kingdom on earth right now, right there in the first century, you know, what it, whether it's 30 AD or whatever it is right there. Well, that's not what he's there for. And so they misunderstand it. And like, like we've gone, you know, through chapter 13, you know, he washed their feet. He told them one was going to betray them. Um, he told them, um, you know, he may reiterated the fact that he's going to be crucified. So this guy who's going to form a temporal kingdom, now he's going to be killed. So, so, you know, it's all falling apart. And then of course, Peter, you know, Peter, the one who always has something to say, you know, titularly, like I've said, their leader, when I say that, it means their leader, just by the fact that he's the one who tends to step up and say stuff, um, and kind of take charge, um, inadvertently in a lot of cases, but Jesus has told him that he's going to don deny him. So again, these guys need comfort. So Jesus is trying to comfort them. And what the reason he's trying to do it, this is not just the casual, Oh, I want to make you feel better. It's the fact that these guys have a mission to accomplish. There, there is still a ministry going on out there. That's going to go on even after Jesus has, has passed. And he's been trying to get them to understand that even after he's crucified, resurrected 40 days with them and ascends, there's a ministry for them. There, there, there's a mission for them. And so they've got to be squared away for this, their faith and their faith is weakening. Their faith is weakening. Now they're saved. I mean, from everything we get, they have a saving faith. No, they're not in and dwelt by the Holy spirit yet. That happens on Pentecost, but they are, they, they, they are struggling with this. And so we went through at the beginning of chapter 14, the comfort for troubled hearts. And we went through all of that. And then we've looked at the legacy of Jesus, which is leading up to this. And, you know, Jesus has talked about the fact that that legacy is the presence of the spirit, the presence of the son, the presence of the father. And again, the presence of the son, the father, and the truth come through the presence of the spirit. So, you know, I mean, like we've said before, these things aren't in the order they're in accidentally. They all build by the spirit indwelling us because the spirit is one part of the triune God. We are indwelt by the son. We are indwelt by the father and we're indwelt by the, the presence of the truth is there. The truth is brought to us and we're made able to understand the truth, but they still need comfort and they need direction. They need direction here. Um, and what they need here, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but we need to look at for what it really is. They need peace. They need to be at peace with what they're going forward with, with, with what they're going to be doing, with what this mission is going to be for them. 
So this next section, which again, like I said, is a single verse, it's verse 27, we're dealing with peace. So what we're going to look at th this evening is the nature of peace. Like I said, we're breaking it down into the nature of peace, the source of peace, the contrast to peace, and then the pursuit of peace. So we're going to deal with the nature of peace this morning, so th or this evening. And this is going to be just this first section of the verse. Peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. So let's talk about what peace is. So in all truth, and, and the world won't tell you this. The world's not going to tell you this. Let's be very, very clear. What I'm about to tell you, the world would scoff at. Okay, they're going to scoff at this. But the fact is, there is an objective and a subjective peace. The objective peace has to do with the person standing with God. Like I said, the world is going to be like, no, doesn't have to. Doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with it. But the objective peace, objective peace has to do with a person's standing with God. The subjective peace has to do with the believer's resulting experience with peace in their everyday life. So an objective peace is necessary to have subjective peace. For peace to happen in your life, there has to be an objective peace. So let's discuss that objective peace. So if we're going to have a subjective, if we're actually going to have peace in our life, that objective peace has to be there and it is not by default. Here's why. Since Adam and Eve, we've been at war with God. All right. I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to you, but it is. It is the truth. Since Adam and Eve, since the fall, we have been at war with God. We are at enmity with God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of the glory of God. That means we're in opposition to God. If we fall short of his glory, we're in opposition because he is holy, holy, holy. And so if we're not holy, 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 we are in opposition to him. Even if we're, un unless even positionally we're made holy, holy, holy. Again, not something we can do, but through Christ. But again, we are in opposition to God. We oppose God and we oppose God in a couple of different ways. And I'm going to give you a few quotes. Believe me, there are many, many more out there, but I, you know, I didn't want, while it's really good for it to be reading the, the scripture, the fact is I've only got about 25 minutes for this. So, but we oppose God by our heritage. So you're going to get sit there and go, what? So because my daddy and my grandpappy were, no, no, no. Romans 5.18, so then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. So he's speaking, Paul is speaking of Adam there. Because again, Adam committed sin. He is our corporate head because he committed sin. That sin nature has now come down to us through him. Let's be clear. You and I were born in sin. Psalm 51, 5. This is David speaking of himself. David, a man after God's own heart, speaking of himself. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. I don't, I know you're not going to like it, but that's you and me. We were brought forth in iniquity and in sin. Our mothers conceived us. We are born with a sin nature. Through our heritage, Psalm 58, 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb, 
Those who speak falsehood wander in error from birth. Please be clear, outside of the grace of God, that's you and I. Outside of a saving faith in God, that's you and I. Because we can do nothing else but be wicked, but choose wickedly. So we oppose God by our heritage and we oppose God by our personal choices. It's not just by heritage. You know, people want to sit there and go, well, that's not fair that I'm being punished because of Adam. Let's be clear. If it were you in the place of Adam and Eve, you'd have done the same thing. And so would I. Uh, I'm sorry to sit there and try to get, well, I shouldn't have to behave for that. I, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, you would have. And I would have too. And if you really stop and truthfully look in the mirror, you'll know that I'm correct there. But we also do it by our own choices. Believe me, it, it doesn't have to tie back to Adam. The fact is we're sinning from birth. Romans 3, 10 through 18. And this is Paul quoting from the Old Testament. Paul's being very, very clear to the Romans. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. That means you're at enmity with God. You're at war with God. There's none who seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In that case, it's, there's really no reverence of God before their eyes is really what it's talking about. So even by our choices, it's not just, you know, you, you want to sit there and argue the federal, federal headship of, of Adam and us being then born into a sin nature, so we're by nature sinners. Yeah, guess what? We make our own choices in sin. There's, there, there, is not, there is not a man except for the man Christ Jesus that ever walked this earth in a sinless manner. The rest of us sin. We sin by nature. We're, I, I, I'm sorry, I've always loved Vody Bach. I mean, you know, people talk about babies. Oh, they're so cute, cute, cute. And they are. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've got a grandson. I got, I got another grandchild on the way. I'm very, very excited about that. But the fact is, babies, I thought Vody Bachum put it perfectly. Babies are vipers and diapers. They are. They're, they're, they're just harking. And I was too, just waiting to do bad because it, because it's in our nature. And let's be clear. None are neutral. Luke eleven twenty three. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. That's Jesus Christ saying, saying that. So let's be clear. You're either a slave of Christ or you're a slave of Satan. Okay. You either worship Christ Or you worship the evil one. That's fact. Whether you outwardly do it or not. That's that's very, very clear. There is no neutral. There is no third party there. So outside of the grace of God, humanity hates God. John 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you. So this is Jesus. Again, upper room discourse. Well, we should get to these verses in the next month or so. John 15, 18, 19, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Again, very, very clear. The world hates God. 
The world hates God. All you have to do is look around you. All you got to do is flip on the TV. The world hates God. James 4, 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. What more does it take to, to, get, to get across to you and I that the fact is, by default, we are enemies of God. We are enemies of God. So if we are enemies of God, there is no peace between us, us and, and God. That, that objective peace, which comes from our standing with God, if we are at enmity with God, if we are at war with God, there's no peace. Okay, that's that objective peace we were talking about. But the good news is that we can be reconciled, Colossians 1.20, and through him, that's Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Acts 10.36, as for the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. This is one of the best ones. Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 17. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups one and broke down the dividing wall of the partition by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinance, ordinances, so that in himself he might create the two into one new man, making peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having in himself put to death the enmity, and he came and preached the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Now, again, let me be clear. Because of our sin and because of God's holiness, we are at war with him. So, even if we were able in some way, shape, or form to choose good sometimes, we would still have a sin nature and we would still have sin about us. I mean, the fact is, Truthfully, you and I sin every day, whether, whether we want to admit it or not, we sin every day. So how can we stand before a, a just and whole stand holy and blameless before a just God? How can we, we can't not on our own, but Jesus Christ. But so, so for us to be able to stand before him, those sins have to be paid for. Please. You know, I know we use the terminology in the church about our sins being forgiven, but the problem is the context of that in the English is that means that we, we think of it as those sins being pushed away to the side and ignored and no big deal. You're okay. Well, that's not how that works. Those sins have to be paid for. They have to be punished. And either you and I pay that punishment or Jesus Christ pays that punishment. And if we are brought to a saving faith in Christ, Jesus Christ pays for that punishment. He takes on himself our sins and then face the wrath of God for those sins. Therefore, our sins are paid for. So there's no longer that sin between us and God causing that enmity, that warfare, so through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God because we've been justified by his death and resurrection because God is just and he wants to be just and, and he's going to be just and the justifier. He justifies us through sending his son to die for us and then be born again and, and be resurrected, thus justifying us. 
But at the same time, he doesn't abrogate his justice. He doesn't throw aside his justice. The sins have been punished. Romans 5, 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Again, the death of Christ and him imputing his righteousness to us and taking on himself our sin and facing the punishment for that reconciles us to God. It brings peace between us and God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So if we're reconciled to God through the death and resurrection, then we are at peace with God. Thus, we have that objective peace. There is that peace. We are no longer at war with God. Again, our sin is cosmic treason against God. Thus, we're at war. But if we are reconciled through Christ, then we have peace with God. And if we have that objective peace, then that subjective peace will flow in our lives. But think of how this world looks at it. And this, this is kind of our application here. Think of how our world ha- tells us, to, and, and, and you see it all around, about constantly searching everywhere except with God to find peace. Peace. Um, we try to find it in meditation. We try to find it in our hobbies. We try to find it in entertainment. We try to find it with psychologists and psychiatrists and meds. We try to find it from vacations. We try, I mean, you name it. We try to find it through trying to find different jobs that are more peaceful. Uh, we try to find it through any and everything. And and that's the, the, the steps of this world. We are constantly looking for that peace, but the only place that peace is real peace is in God. That is the only place that is. That is the only place we can find it. That is, and that is its very nature. Is it, it, it's coming from him. That is, that is the only place. So we must be reconciled to God. That is its nature. We must be reconciled to God. We must have that objective peace. So without that, we're not going to have any peace. We're certainly not going to have any peace in this world. We see the, the, the bloodshed and all that's going on over in Israel right now and all of that. And I'm not bashing one side or the other right now. That, that's not my point. But how clear that makes it that there is no objective peace there. How clear does that make that? But we must have that. We will not find peace unless we are in a right standing with God, no matter what the world tries to tell you. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. Um, 
I, and I hope to see you in the morning. Uh, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness and salvation and joy in its holiness. I'm sorry. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy, grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit maxim manners but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness may we be alive to every call of duty accepting without question thy discrimination sorry thy determination of our circumstances and our service amen all right well again thank you for spending this time with me this evening i pray that this time together helps for you to to develop and grow in your knowledge of the scriptures you and i both um, and again, I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a great night. God bless. Mm -hmm.